Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what? What are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to Tokyo Bound. SEN is the official radio broadcaster of the Olympic Games Tokyo 2020. Indeed it is. It's all going to start with the opening ceremony Friday night. You'll hear that live right across the SEN network. Welcome everyone to Tokyo Bound, all part of the sporting capital the last few weeks in the countdown to the Tokyo Olympics. All thanks to APIA, the go-to insurance for retirees. The Olympics are only three days away. And today on the show, shortly, we're going to be joined by former Australian Olympic sprinter Raylene Boyle, also here from former swimming champion uh, Lisa Curry as well. And as I said, opening ceremony on uh, Friday night into competition uh, Saturday, right throughout the next uh, fortnight, you will be hearing uh, plenty of Olympic coverage uh, right across uh, SEM. But we are going to start tonight with the first of my special guests, uh, Raylene Boyle. I actually caught up with Raylene uh, yesterday, AM, MBE, Australian retired athlete, represented Australia at three Olympic Games as a sprinter, winning three silver medals. It was named one of 100 National Living Treasures by the National Trust of Australia back in 1998. She was diagnosed, of course, with breast cancer in 1996, subsequently became a board member of Breast Cancer Network Australia. In 2017, she was named a legend in the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, Raylene Boyle. It was great to catch up with her on this edition of Tokyo Bound. It's a bloody difficult games. I just can't believe that they're going ahead with it. You could you could um, compare it to Moscow when there was the political unrest, and could probably compare it to um, thirty six when Hitler was in control, and um, how difficult that might have been. But this is unique in itself because it's a pandemic, and it's. Um, yeah, it's no crowds, no a whole lot of things. It's just going to be, um, I don't know how the athletes are going to do it with, you know, with real stimulation because there's going to be none. It's a great point. I mean, and I follow tennis and cover tennis, Raylene, and, you know, I heard Nick Kyrgios's response, someone that can, you know, certainly divide opinion, but he said, this is not the real Olympic Games. So I'm, I'm not going to go to Tokyo because I'm not going to experience what the Olympic Games is, and that is the crowds there uh, cheering you on in a gold medal match, a silver, bronze, whatever the case. I can't go and interact and watch some other sports and, and take in you know, the whole sort of Olympic experience. But I imagine for others, they may look at it and go, well, this is my, my one window as an athlete to go to an Olympics, and I'm on that plane, rain, hail or shine. So I suppose it is a different circumstance for everyone, but it is going to be strange, certainly with no crowds there. It's a perfect example with those words coming out of Nick Kyrgios' mouth as to why tennis shouldn't be in the games because it's not the most significant thing to them. They they use it as a toy 
Um, and really, from Nick Kyrgios, I kind of think it's probably an excuse not to go. I, look, I don't know. It's tough on the athletes who have spent their life training to um, get to an Olympic Games, and this might be the only one that a lot of them get to, and then, uh, you know, the carpet's pulled out from beneath their feet. But on the other hand, we're talking about something that can kill you. Yeah. We're talking about a very difficult medical situation that's actually um, challenging the world. So what comes first, your health or sport? I, I don't know. I question all of these things and it all goes through my head and, and I just don't know what I would have done in the same situation. It's, it's not just simply it's the Olympic Games I'm going regardless of. There's an awful lot of considerations that would have had to have been looked at by all of the athletes and all of the coaches and all of the administration, one would hope. And I'm not sure if it all goes to to SHIT, who's going to take the blame, whether it's going to be Thomas Spark, the IOC, yep. or whether it's going to be Tokyo, because I don't think the Japanese Prime Minister will be happy to go down for it. Uh, no, that is that is true. I mean, it, look, it's a, it's a fascinating build-up. It's unprecedented. We, we just don't know, looking to the crystal ball, how it's all going to uh, shape uh, come the opening ceremony on Friday into the first day of competition uh, come uh, the weekend. So, so much intrigue. If we can maybe park that for a moment, because I I did want to get you on to you know talk about you know your your great memories of being at an Olympic Games. I mean, this is special for so many athletes. So lifelong memories. You know, Mexico City, Munich, in winning the medals that you did. I mean, what what are the first thing that that sort of come to your mind, Raylene, about competing in Olympic Games? Probably the um, the impressive number of international people, particularly in track track and field where you pretty much have the whole world competing there was a mass of international people and you know as a kid you don't realize how many countries there are in the world well you didn't at my age anyway and you certainly didn't relate to going across boundaries and going such a long way away to compete in a running race it was like I couldn't get my head around that the other impressive things were some of the people I met I met Jesse Owens which Mm was a, a unique experience. It was a bit like an Australian meeting Don Bradman in a way, yep. but Jesse Owens was way above the Bradman, with all respect to Bradman, because the whole world knew Jesse Owens. And it really made an enormous impact on the way I carried myself through my career. He was so humble and such a normal human being, and he was just a brilliant athlete. But his career was shortened because of Olympic rules, because of amateur rules. Um, what else impressed me? Probably the do all and you know die trying to do it to win those medals. Um, I didn't really have that attitude, but a lot of the athletes did, particularly the Eastern Europeans. They had to have that sort of attitude, and so did the Chinese. It, it look, it's a very different place. It's actually a very political world. Yeah, you don't have to be uh, an athlete or uh, someone close to it to um, to certainly feel that. And you know, as someone that was as young as you were, Raylene, sixteen, seventeen, can you give us an insight into the Raylene Boyle at sixteen, seventeen of who you were all those years ago? I was pretty atypical, I guess. I. I had um, pimples, long, straight, greasy hair. Um, yeah, I was just starting to learn and grow about life. I, 16, I had absolutely no idea. And my parents didn't want me to go away. Um, and I'm glad I did because I went through enormous growth in 
all sorts of stuff. You know, it's, I wasn't a very good student. Um, in fact, I really disliked school and I had no directional plans in life. So for me to go over there and all of a sudden find some discipline, because I had to be disciplined to go on to another one, and direction, something I wanted to actually do. And from those couple of things came a lot of opportunities. Yep. Um, and, yeah, I, uh, I, I just grew so much in 68, from a little kid, a little naive girl from Coburg, to pretty much an adult who was capable of making her own decisions. Raylene Boyle is our special guest on Tokyo Bound uh, AM. MBE, of course, uh, three silver medals at the Olympics. Can I get you to recall, Raylene, so 1968, Mexico City, 200 metres. Take us back to the build-up and what and what you recall of uh, the race. Well, I'd, I'd run in the 100 metres before that, and I was actually placed third. Um, the Mexico Olympics were the last time they had officials on the track giving placings as well as taking times. And they also had automatic stuff that, of course, now reign supreme. And I was given third position, went into the medal ceremony room, had the makeup done and the rest of it. And then just as we were about to walk out of, uh, of that room to go and receive medals, they'd changed their minds and they'd placed me fourth. So I learned how to be tough very early. And it also made me, set me up to be very, very damn determined to... Uh, win one of those those little sparkly things in the next race I ran, which was the 200 metres. And I, I, I always went into my races believing that it was only people with a head and body and two legs and two arms. And there was no reason why I couldn't compete against them. I believed in the fact that I could run fast. And, yep. and that, of course, took me to a silver medal. The reaction on the day when you won that silver, you, you're trying to get, you know, aim as high as you possibly can. What was the immediate reaction? I was very excited, very excited. And I was very excited for another Australian who came third, Jenny Lammy, yep. um, in the same race. And I immediately wanted to make a telephone call to my parents to tell them that I'd won a medal. Um, not realising that they had listened to it on the radio and heard that I'd won a medal. Um, so it was very different times. I was, I was thrilled to win that medal at 17 and it truly set me on a path of believing that I could win a gold at a, at a later stage when I was a little bit older. And then four years later in, in Munich in the 100 and the 200, how did you feel as an athlete four years on in terms of your growth and, and development and, and where you were sort of you know placed getting into that second Olympic Games? Oh, look, I'd gone through an enormous period of growth, both personally as a human and, um, and physically as an athlete. And um, I had a different coach and we trained every day, whereas in Mexico I trained three days a week for three months for those games. Um, and I sort of had tur- turned around and become basically a professional, I guess. Yep. An unpaid professional, for want of another term. And, yeah, I just went into it with a, a totally more um, professional attitude. And I knew what I was there for. I just wasn't pie in the sky. You know, I'm out there to run a running race. I was there to win 
win gold medals. I wasn't there to come second, third, fourth or last or not make the final. Mm. Sadly, that didn't happen. Mm. Yeah, and it's tough. Isn't it? You get this sort of small window to be able to you know, get your absolute best result. I mean, was competition always in your blood going even back as a, a younger girl before you got onto that Olympic stage? Were you always uh, you know, competitive? Very competitive in the household. We rode bikes and we played cricket in the street and played footy in the street and yeah, I had two brothers. It was there was no reason why I couldn't outrun them or out bike ride them or until I got to a later age. But yeah, I, we were competitive in our own way. Um, we were out in the fresh air and we were running and jumping and having a good time in life. It's a very different life for the kids of today. Yeah, no um, and in fact, a lot of a lot of kids don't go in you know sport ladder in their life because they can't become professional in it. Not everyone can be good, mm. but everyone should participate in sport. It's good. It's just a good thing for your head and your body. In, in your current form right now, what, what are you doing sort of in you know, retirement? I think you said in a recent TV interview that you're getting back to exercising. You do a PT session three times a week, walking the dog every morning. Uh, obviously, that's still a big part of your life, being active. Oh, yeah, it is. It always has been. I, I did drop off a bit after my first cancer. And I was, um, yeah, I was a pretty sick person and I needed to settle down and, and get some health back into my body before I started knocking it around again. But I've just turned 70 yeah. and I still, I walk the dog every day for four or five Ks. I go to the gym three times a week and work with a personal trainer. And generally, you know, I do things around my house. I mow, mow my lawns and wash my floors and and do that sort of stuff, which I include in my exercise regime. On your battle with cancer, I mean, you went through that. I actually called the Pink Lady match uh, at the MCG Saturday night, Raylene, and it's become such an iconic event, different, uh, done virtually, of course, this year. But I imagine that means a hell of a lot to you. And then, you know, you've been inducted into the Sport Australia Hall of Fame, a member of the Order of the British Empire, many honours since you competed. What maybe means the most to you? Oh, look, what means the most to me? I don't really know. What what does mean so much to me is family. And, you know, I'm lucky enough now to have a step-grandson and I just adore him. He's 14 months old and he's just brought another world into my life, another <laughs> dimension that I didn't yeah. think I'd ever have, yeah. not having had children. But, yeah, just look living. And, and also the other thing that's happened with age is I've realised probably the insignificance of elite sport. Mm. Um, I know that sounds weird. I'm not saying I don't respect elite sport and I'm not saying I don't respect what I did as an athlete. But when you've had cancer, when you've lived the life I've had since I was 44, you realise that that the important thing in life really is health, yep. good friends and good family around you and living a good, wholesome life. Beautifully said. I totally agree with that. I, as I get older, that becomes much more pronounced we can sort of get in the cut and thrust of our everyday life our work we love it but it's it's secondary to health and and family and and everything else and we go through all these phases of our our work life our professional life i think it's um it's a great point just just finally rowan browning and hannah basic they're competing in the 100 meter sprint at the the games i mean with you know browning certainly a good chance to uh, possibly medal in tokyo have you got a a bit of a feel for how our sprinters are going to go I think you're overstating that, Brett, and I and I think that's sad in a way because the expectation from people listening to that will say, he didn't medal, you know, it was predicted he'd medal. He'll be lucky to make the final. 
If he makes the final, he's done well. In fact, if he makes the semi-finals, he'll have done well. Men's 100-metre sprinting, you are talking fractions and very small fractions of seconds, of moments. And, um, you know, he's coming up against the Americans and the Africans and the um, the guys from the Caribbean. Uh, if he gets to the semi-finals, I'll be celebrating for him. Yep. Um, Basic, I don't know. I... She hasn't run under under 11. Um, some of the stuff that's coming through from America is great. The Europeans will be in there kicking as well. If she gets through to the semi-finals, she'll be doing very well. Let's not place them under too much pressure for ridiculous results. It's not like swimming. I mean, in swimming, you've only really got the white world swimming. And in track and field, you've got the whole world running. And it's the, the guys that are of indigenous colour um, that seem to be the ones that win the medals and make the finals. You don't get too many white guys making the finals these days. You know what they say, white men can fly? It's all rubbish. I love your frankness and uh, certainly not my intention to uh, build it up uh, too much, but uh, we hope for some success. Uh, great to chat to you and you did some amazing things uh, right through your athletics uh, career and, uh, and keep enjoying life, uh, Raylene. You sound like you're in a really good place. Yeah, I'm in a good place, Brett. Thank you for that. And I hope I'm not too disappointing to people, not sort of talking up stuff. But I don't do that. Never have. We love your honesty. Thank you, Raylene. Thank you. Raylene Boyle, it was great to catch up with her in the last 24 hours. She is honest. Uh, she is candid. And that's what we love when you sit on this side of the desk and you ask the questions. You want that honesty uh, back and nothing uh, too fluffy. So uh, Raylene's a view and great to go down memory lane with her career as well. Coming up after the break, uh, going to bring you an interview from uh, Sports Day New South Wales in the last uh, couple of weeks with uh, Lisa Curry, who knows all about an Olympic Games. Tokyo bound, more to come. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.